26. I'm going to be reading until verse 43. 49, rather. This is passage from Luke, kind of a biography of Jesus talking about this last moment of his death. We won't have a, a Good Friday service this week because we meet here at the school. It's very difficult for us to set up on Friday nights. It doesn't easily happen. So just want to sit in a bit of the Holy Week as we enter in this morning. So we have this on a screen as well, but hear this word of the Lord. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things while the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Verse 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Though we don't have a slide for this, we say here at King's Cross, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The last several weeks, we've been exploring forgiveness. And to be honest, this has been a really difficult subject to address and to teach. First of all, it's just because forgiveness is complex. In one way, Jesus says, I offer you forgiveness freely for your sins. 
And yet he also says, if you forgive others your sin, their sins, my Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, my Heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. And we looked at how this forgiveness means letting go of revenge. And in a sense, it's taking the cost on yourself. But at the same time, Scripture repeatedly talks about justice. So how do we weigh these things together? It's incredibly complex, and we've tried to sit in some of that these last several weeks, so if you're still looking for answers to those questions, you can go back to our podcast. Hopefully, we are addressing them well there. But the deeper challenge, to be honest with you, in this series is that I know a lot of your stories. And it's an amazing privilege, hear me, King's Cross, I love getting to hear your hearts. It's one of the best joys of being a pastor of this church and the amazing people that are a part of this body. So I know just a bit of your stories. So I feel just some of the weight when there's this command from God saying, forgive, and I know how outrageous that can feel given what some of you have experienced and gone through. Not just decades ago, but recently. It's like, how callous is that? Now you just need to move on, forgive, forget all of these lines that people say. I feel the weight of this command given what many of you have experienced. So this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. We actually have someone we're going to have interviewed here a little bit later. Uh, Judith Robel is here. She's a fantastic woman of God who I've gotten to meet here in Lyons. We're going to take about 10, 15 minutes to hear from her because it's someone who I think has really walked through the hardness, the difficulty of forgiveness and lived that. And I just want to hear from her experience this morning. But I also want to sit in a couple challenging questions that sometimes people throw out. So we're going to do that first, then hear from Judith before ending with Holy Week and time in communion. So first of all, explore a couple questions with me. Sometimes I will hear people say, what if it feels like I need to forgive God? We're talking about forgiveness, Caleb. We haven't addressed this yet. What if I have bitterness and anger in my heart towards God and it feels like I need to forgive him? What do I do with this? Well, first of all, I just want to, it's, it's pretty understandable. If you believe God is sovereign, that he has authority over all things, that nothing is too hard for him and nothing happens without his awareness and he's full of love and yet you are sitting in tremendously painful circumstances, how can you not arrive at a place of confusion and some level of anger towards God? Like, what are you doing in my life? Why aren't you more present? Why haven't you showed up to prevent this incredibly painful thing in my life? There's a singer-songwriter named Bethany Dillon, and she wrote a song called Who Else? I think powerfully captures this emotion and this heart of trust towards God, yet puzzlement. What are you doing? Hear these lyrics from her song called Who Else? It says, all I'm hearing is white noise, and and all I'm feeling is salt in the wound. I turned a corner and got knocked out, and the one holding the weight was you, speaking to God. I saw the one loss coming, but the others have left me in shock. The mess and brokenness aren't surprising, but I'm surprised you haven't said it's enough. Hear this. So who else am I supposed to be angry at? Who else? Who? Who else am I supposed to be angry at? You're the one who calls the shots. I want to wrestle till I feel blessed, 
or at least until all this is renamed, I know that you love me in my head, but the tightness in my chest has something to say. Who else am I supposed to be angry at? Who else? Who? Who else am I supposed to be angry at? You're the one calling the shots. I think Bethany Dillon is very accurate here. She knows God's sovereign. You're the one calling the shots. Yet I'm in misery. Who else am I supposed to be angry at? How can you not arrive in this place when you're in the midst of tremendous suffering and you believe in a God of love who's in control of all things? At some level, there's this confusion and anger. And honestly, Beth is in good company. The book on suffering in scripture, the book of Job, that sits in this longer and more deeply than any other writing in scripture. Hear this from Job chapter 19, verse 7 through 10. He says, though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. He has blocked my way so I cannot pass. He has shrouded my paths in darkness. He has stripped me of honor and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I am gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. He uproots my hope like a tree. And Job is not talking about the enemy, Satan. He is talking about his good, good God. This is the one he says that's responsible for uprooting his hope like a tree. The brokenness here. So see, first of all, this really clear example from Bethany Dillon and from Scripture. And if you go into the psalm, psalm after psalm, of the importantness of having an honest relationship with God particularly in the midst of suffering when you feel confused and angry like God is not there and has left you alone on some level you must be able to come to him and say who else am I supposed to be angry at and what are you doing and on some level my heart feels like I need an explanation because I believe you're there I trust you with my life but this is awful and surely you should have said this is enough a long long time ago so what am I supposed to do God and if we cannot have conversations like this with God, how else are we supposed to interact with him? If we believe he is our king that's full of kindness towards us, we must be able to be raw with him. But I hope you see that in both of these examples, neither of them are ultimately accusing God and saying, you have done wrong. Neither of them are saying, God, you have sinned and need forgiveness from me. There's confusion. There's anger. There's maybe even a little bit of bitterness. But there is not the accusation, God, you have done wrong. So while it's important for us to be raw with God, it will, hear me, lead us astray if we think that God needs forgiveness. Just go back with me and consider again what we said forgiveness means. First of all, it means that you are recognizing that there is a wrong. Something that should not have happened. A sin against you, a trespass has occurred. That's why forgiveness is required. But if we're going to forgive God, we're saying that he is in the wrong. He has sinned. He has trespassed. But our deep hope, hear me, King's Cross, is that our God is blameless. Our hope is that God is perfect, that he is holy in all of his ways. He's altogether righteous. 
and there is no fault in our king. This is why it beautifully says in 1 John chapter 1, it says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. There is no darkness, no blame, no fault in him at all. He is the perfect holy one. He is overflowing with wisdom. He has the depths of compassion. He is perfect in all of his ways, as we sang this morning. You are perfect in all of your ways. Even the ones I'm confused by, even the ones I'm angry at, I still say in faith, you are perfect in all of your ways. And I will trust you. There's no accusation. You're my king, and I know you are perfect, and that is why I have hope. Although your ways are beyond me, and I don't understand what's happening, although you see farther than I can see, and I don't know what's happening, I still trust in your character and in your goodness. So we cannot say that God is at fault, that he has erred. Even more than this, it would be an absolute disaster for us in our sins. If we're saying that God has done wrong, then as we see Jesus on the cross, he's not paying for our sins, he's paying for his own. There goes our hope. If we're saying, God, you are in the wrong, you have sinned against me, then Jesus is not the innocent one who's being crucified on behalf of the guilty. He also is named among the guilty. But that's not what scripture says in Isaiah 53, that my righteous servant, my righteous, faultless servant will justify the many. As we read this morning in Luke chapter 23, isn't it interesting how twice Luke highlights through witnesses the blamelessness of Jesus? Even one criminal, he says, we've done wrong, but we know this man has done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong to deserve this. We have, he hasn't. And the centurion standing there who has doubtless seen many criminals crucified, he says, this man surely was righteous. There's something different about him I already recognize. He's the blameless one. He's the righteous one. And all of us standing here are in the wrong. Luke is highlighting for us the importance that Jesus being crucified is innocent because he's the divine exchange. He's the blameless, innocent one who is taking on the penalty of our sin. He takes on our guilt. He takes on our wrong so that we could be given his righteousness, so that we could be given his faultless record. So hear me, King's Cross. If we want to say God is in the wrong, we're saying that he can't pay for our sins. But if he truly is perfect in all of his ways and blameless, then he is able to take our sin on himself and pay the cost for us. That's, that's the gospel. Do you see this? Do you see this? And I think if we understand God in his beauty and in his greatness, if we really get a view of God's greatness and glory, I think we'll say like Job, he says this. He says, though I heard of you with my ears, now my eyes, now my eyes have seen you and I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. 
meaning I thought I knew what was going on, but now I see reality. Now I see God in all his glory and all his goodness, and I realize I was wrong in my bitterness. I have no claim against you, God. I let go. I let go. So that's our first question. Secondly here, though, sometimes hear people say, what if I feel like I can't forgive myself? What if I feel like I can't forgive myself? Again, I think this is really understandable when people feel this way. If you have done things to loved ones especially that you deeply regret, it's hard to let go of that. There's this desire to sit in self-hatred and in self-loathing. Many people are here. And you just keep beating yourself up over and over and over again. But hear me, there's two traps to this kind of thinking. If, if you've said this to yourself or have heard loved ones or other people say this, remember this. There's two traps to this kind of thinking. First of all, we are often trying to do penance by refusing to forgive ourselves. We're trying to make up for the wrong that we've done. Even if we don't say it out loud, subtly what can go on in our hearts is thinking, if I don't forgive myself and I pour on enough self-hatred and loathing on me, maybe after a while I'll feel less guilt. I'm paying for what I've done wrong by my self-hatred. And beating myself up over and over again, we're just lashing ourselves emotionally, trying to make up for the wrong that we've done. So you're trying to justify yourself in a sense if you refuse to forgive yourself. It's penance, you're trying to make up for the wrong you've done but also hidden in this mentality is a bit of a belief that Jesus' death is not enough for you. Maybe, again, people wouldn't say this out loud, but if I can't forgive myself, sometimes we think Jesus' death is great enough for all those other people and maybe what they've done, but what I've done is too severe and too awful for God to ever forgive me. But suddenly we're saying, my sin is greater than Jesus' grace. Although his blood was poured out, although God, the infinitely worthwhile one, was crucified for me, I'm saying that's not enough for me to be forgiven. And usually we don't walk there to that conclusion, but that is what we mean when we say, I can't forgive myself. Jesus' death is not enough for me. Or maybe you do think, yes, okay, Caleb, I hear you. God's death is enough for me. I believe God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. I believe he gives forgiveness. I believe his death is enough, but I can't let go. I can't forgive myself. Here's the second trap. We're actually making ourselves a higher court and judge than God. We're making ourselves a higher court and judge than God. If God in his death for us in Jesus, he is saying to us, I'm offering forgiveness to you freely so that now I might call you my sons and my daughters. I would call you justified and righteous. I would call you blameless and my own. If that's what Jesus' death is doing, and we say, I can't forgive myself, we're saying, my word trumps God's. Because a Christian is one who allows themselves to be defined by God and who he says that we are. As we, again, just saying, that you are the one that defines me. I am who you say I am. You're my good, good father. And I'm your loved child. That's who I am. That's who I am. I'm allowing your goodness to define me. 
not my wrong actions in the past. So if we believe God has forgiven us, we must allow him to define us. That I truly believe now, God, although I have all of this track record in my mind of my wrong, although I feel so full of shame, I believe now your word matters more than mine. Then now I will call myself a righteous one because of Jesus. Then I will call myself son or daughter who is honored and full of grace, not because I earned it, but because I know my God did for me. Do you see the gospel? And so I'll sit in this hope and now allow my name to be what Jesus calls me, not what the enemy tries to name me in his lies. So I now know who I am through the death of God for me. So if I say I can't forgive myself, it's like I'm setting myself up as a Supreme Court to change God's verdict about me. Do you want to do that? Do not let the enemy deceive you and think that you cannot forgive yourself. Let God's verdict stand by faith in Jesus. You say, I have no claim on my own. Of course I could never earn this. Of course I could never be good enough. And although we may want to hold on to that, even sometimes, this is hard, hear me, sometimes people hold on to their mistakes and their shame because it's where they find their identity. I'm the one who did this awful thing. And they can't let go of that. But putting your faith in Jesus now means you are the one I'm defined by. So I will no longer say this is my identity. It's you, Jesus. You're my life. You're my treasure. You're the one where I find my identity. So do not get caught up in trying to justify yourself. Do not devalue the death of Jesus for you. Don't set yourself up as a Supreme Court over God. Let his verdict stand. There's freedom here. In this, I want to pause now. I'm going to actually have this be our moment where we're going to hear from Judith, answering a little bit of these questions. Now, I just want to hear this more from Judith's life. So going to have her come up here. Thanks so much, Judith. I've been really looking forward to this moment for a long time. Even when we first started this series, I think God laid it on my heart to be able to have this conversation with you. So it's a real joy that this gets to happen. Just, this is so good. Yeah, please do. Yeah, absolutely. That's fine. You can see everybody, they can see you. This really is a joy for me. I got to meet Judith back when I first moved to Lyons. She worked at Dumond Printing with Twyla for a while. And then we've just had a number of conversations in Brew 56 and just talking about God and quickly realizing you just run into someone else that loves Jesus and you recognize this person has the Holy Spirit and there's a delight and a following of God. And although Judith is not a part of our church, she's a part of um, the Bible church, Faith Bible, thank you, <laughs> planking right there, Faith Bible Church. She's a part of the same body of Jesus with us. So that's why I'm really glad that we get to learn from your story a little bit today. So thank you so much for being here, Judith. Thank you yeah. for the invitation, Caleb. Absolutely. Can you guys hear her all right? Does that work? Great. Well, can you first just tell us a little bit about how your journey began to even learn about forgiveness? I was brought up in the church. So I knew all of the head things about forgiveness. 
But in 1992, my mother's younger brother was murdered at his place of employment. And we were on our way from her house to his house to be with the widow. And my mother said she was driving and we were facing east. And she said through gritted teeth, I want whoever did this to pay. Mm -hmm. And I said, they will answer either here or hereafter. And the sun visor was down, and it was just like I was looking at a movie. There was a crowd here throwing stones, mm. and the camera panned to the left, and here was a man standing, holding cloaks, and urging the crowd on. This happened in my head. Mm. And in the back of my head, God said, if I can make St. Paul out of this, can you not trust me with these? Mm. These is plural. This is singular. We didn't know whether the perpetrators of that particular murder were singular, plural, or anything else. Mm. But in that moment, I realized that I had to resign from the Committee on Judgment. Mm and let so it go to God, because he was the one who could judge, who would make things right, wrong, indifferent, whatever. It was up to him, not up to me. Yeah. And that was the beginning. And so being an old English teacher, I start with definitions. I mean, you go to the dictionary. It's simple, simple. Isn't it, Lynette? <laughs> <laughs> you go to the dictionary. The definition of forgiveness is to absolve from payment, to renounce anger or resentment against, or to excuse for a fault or an offense. <clears throat> well, if a life has been lost, there is no payment adequate. So you take that one off the table. If a life has been lost, you may be an offended party, but you're not the mm. offended party. God is, because God was the author of that life. Yeah. Mm. And God is the primarily offended party in that instance. Mm. And so I don't step on God's toes. I mean, that's not a good place to be. <laughs> you don't step on God's toes. So that leaves me with one thing to do, and that's renounce anger and resentment against. Mm -hmm. And so renounce became re-announce to mm -hmm. me. So good. So when the feelings, and Satan loves feelings, he likes to manipulate them, he likes to push you with them, he loves your feelings. So. Every time those feelings arise, you state out loud, I have decided to renounce anger and resentment in this instance. Yeah. And I found myself doing that six or 10 times an hour. <laughs> and eventually it was six or 10 times a day. Mm -hmm. And a little further along, it was six or 10 times a week. And then it got to where it was maybe six or 10 times a month. Mm -hmm and then six or 10 times a year. 
And now I go until somebody pushes the button again to raise the feelings. Yeah. Mm. Raise the feelings, raise the emotions. And I re-announce it every time. Now there's a reason for that. Satan does not hear your thoughts. Mm. He hears what you say, but he does not hear your thoughts. So when you say it out loud, you tell him he's powerless, and you reinforce it in your own mind, mm. because we need reinforcement in our own minds. Yeah, so good. So that's, that's how you get to where you need to yeah. go partially. Well, and this is where I really, I know she's not sharing her whole story here, which is really more than okay. Because even just getting to hear a little bit of your life, Judith, I know that there's been many moments of pretty severe hurt yes. and that have taken decades to heal from, which is why I've just really appreciated your story because you've sat in the difficulty and listened to God as he's instructed you. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe can you just share a little bit more too about some of the obstacles you've faced? I love that. I'm going to re-announce <laughs> forgiveness, but what are some of the obstacles that you've run into? Well, the first, the first obstacle you run into is your own feelings. That's the first one. The second one that I have had a hard time coming to, to define so that I knew what I was talking about is that no matter who comes against you in this world, this one steps on your toes, this one undercuts a business deal, uh, this one does something else to hurt you, somebody robs you, anything, that man is not your enemy. That person mm -hmm. is not your enemy. We have one enemy. Yeah. His name is Satan. Mm -hmm. And I spell it with a lowercase s. <laughs> I'm not going to give him a capital letter. So there he is. Now, he deceives people. I mean, he is a master magician. He is a prestidigitator. He will pull out all the stops and all the illusions for anything you want, and he will use people. Now, none of us is perfect. He's used me. Uh, mm -hmm. He's used us all at one time or another when we were in a weak spot or a, a, a bad place or whatever. The thing is, <coughs> the person who hurt you is not your enemy. So it's easy to look at easier to look at that person and say, he's been deceived, then he's my enemy. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. this is what's happened. We have one enemy, mm -hmm. only one. Yeah. Now he uses everybody, Yeah. you know. That's but that's the, that's the thing you have to get to, is understanding that this person is not your enemy. Yeah. You'll never be my enemy. You'll never be my enemy. You'll never be my enemy. None of you will ever be my enemy. Yeah. And I hope I'll never be yours. But Satan can use any one of us in a weak moment, uh, an unguarded moment, to hurt someone else. Yeah. And that changes so much perspective. And I, I love that where it's our battle is not against flesh and blood, as Paul writes in Ephesians. It's not against other people. So. I read that in a good book somewhere. Yeah, it's in, it's in there. <laughs> but maybe share a little bit more, too. I mean, not the obstacles only, but I think in your long journey and 
this hard-won lessons about forgiveness. What compelled you to forgive? Especially when you feel that bitterness and anger you want to hold on to. What compelled you to forgive? The one thing that compelled me to forgive was I saw my mother's bitterness. Hmm. This was her baby brother. I mean, she was four years old when he was born. He was her baby doll. And when she became a widow, she and he had lunch once a week. She was, they were very close. And she was not dependent on him, but mm -hmm. reliant on him. There's, there's a difference. And it was a huge blow to her life. But she got angry and bitter and bitter. And it shriveled her in a way. Mm. And I, yeah. I can't see being shriveled. Mm. That's, that's not something I want for me. It's not something I want for any of you. It's, it's not a good outcome. It's not what God wants for yeah. you, I don't yeah. believe. Yeah. Amen. God wants you to live a full. Correct me if I'm wrong. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That's so good. Mm -hmm. um, that's not an abundant life. That's so true. And so I want to do anything that's going to help me have an abundant Amen. life. Amen. It is amazing how unforgiveness bends us out of shape that we've talked about here. Yeah. It, it like stretches us in ways that are unhealthy. And that God wants to set us on these right paths. Well, and a root of bitterness will cause physical ailments. Yeah. It simply will because your body gets stressed in ways that you don't it's necessarily true. understand or see or whatever. But there it is. Yeah. Is there a last thought you'd want to share with us too? Because I know we could go on a long time. That's where this feels cruel, only doing this for 10 or 15 minutes. But is there a last thought that would be helpful to share with our body? Two. <laughs> go for it. Absolutely do two. <laughs> Forgiveness is selfish. Forgiveness is helping you to live a fuller life. And the last thought is, remember that no man is your enemy. Mm. You have one enemy, you know his name, don't fall for his tricks. Yeah. Thank you so much, Judith. Can I pray for you real quick here? You guys wanna join me in thank prayer? You, Lord, thank you so much for Judith's life and the way that your spirit has prodded her to obedience and she's listened to you, and she has followed you in that hard and narrow path. And God, would you continue to keep filling her with your wisdom and with your Holy Spirit? There's a lot of people in our county, Lord, that are bound up by Satan in unforgiveness and in bitterness. And Lord, I know that you've led her into many conversations with people. Would you continue to make her fruitful in ministry, Jesus, that you'd bring more and more freedom to our county? And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Can you guys thank Judith with me here this morning too? Thank you, Judith. Absolutely. As we wrap up here this morning, just want to re-recognize that we're entering into Holy Week right now. And I said as we were beginning worship, this starts with Palm Sunday, where Jesus entered into Jerusalem. 
And the crowds were so excited. They brought out palm branches, laid them on the ground, took off their own cloaks and robes, laid them on the ground so that Jesus, riding on the foal of a donkey, could enter in, singing his praises. Hosanna, Hosanna. This is the king. This is the Messiah. It's very, very likely that by Friday, some of these same people are chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And how fickle our hearts are all over the place. And as Jesus is crucified by our fickle hearts because of our sin, our sin, my sin, it's amazing what Luke says. As Jesus is nailed to the cross, as he's raised up, the first words that Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, the first words, are not, not what we might anticipate. It's not, can you believe this? These same people that were praising me are now crucifying me. It's not anger or bitterness. He's not, can you believe that I've healed these people? I've taught them for years, done miracle after miracle, and this is how they treat me? They crucify me? Father, can you believe this? That's not what comes out of Jesus' mouth. Instead, when he's raised up, the first thing he says is, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus' first words and up on the cross is forgiveness towards you and I. That's what leaps out of his spirit in a moment of suffering. Mindfulness towards us that we might receive forgiveness. And powerfully, it's not just words that Jesus is saying. It's not just expressing this sentiment. He knows that him there on the cross, suffering the wrath of God and justice towards us, he's making it possible for forgiveness to come to us. He's earning what was otherwise impossible for you and I to ever have. Praise God, this beautiful life and freedom and joy we have in him, peace with God because of Jesus' forgiveness towards us. He purchased that on his death on Calvary. So as we end here this morning, we're going to take communion together. I'll invite uh, Kyler and Lauren and Leon and Paula and the band back up. We're going to worship. This is, I think, important for us to end this series on forgiveness with communion. Because again, even as Jesus wasn't just saying that, he was giving that to us. He made a way for us to receive that. And as you take communion this morning, I hope you see this is a moment where you're saying, God, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your verdict about me, that you now call me blameless and righteous because of faith in Jesus, who he is. Do you see this? So the bread represents Jesus' broken body for us, and the juice is his blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. So I invite you to take this meal with us this morning. And again, let it be a reminder, taking and eating this gift of forgiveness God gives you. I want to make you aware that Kyler here, he has our gluten-free bread. I think we've had this every week, but I always forget to acknowledge it. So we made it this week. Kyler has our gluten-free bread. The other two stations here are uh, not gluten-free. But invite you, if you take a piece of bread first, you're going to hear that person say, the body of Christ broken for you. And then you'll dip it in the juice, using the bread, dip it in the juice, and they'll say, the blood of Christ poured out for you. 
and then you can feel free to eat it right there in that moment, or you can walk back and stay in prayer and take it later as you want. But again, take this as a sign of God's gift of life and forgiveness towards you. Again, invite you as well, if you could come down these middle aisles, it just helps the flow, then take that bread and juice and head out back on the outside aisles. And this, would you all pray with me as we enter into worship again? Lord, you're matchless in your compassion. Lord, you're matchless in your creativity of your redemption towards us. That from the beginning of time, the beginning of creation, you knew exactly how you were planning to redeem us and to set us free in you, Jesus. Uh, so Lord, we, we want to praise you and we want to receive this work that you've given us. Lord, would you soften our hearts right now? Would you remove any bitterness and anger towards you that we'd actually see? I, I need your blamelessness, Jesus. I, I need your righteousness, so I trust you, even in my frustration and confusion. Lord, you also relieve us from that bondage of self-hatred and loathing and that we'd let your verdict stand here this morning. Release us from that lie of the enemy. We pray this in your beautiful, so good name, Jesus. Amen. So we sing this.